For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I hate to say it, but I have to admit that I was wrong. As someone who prides himself on research and talking, which is why we do what we do, it's hard for me to come out, especially on a public platform, and say, well, I was wrong. But Keaton Slovis, you proved me wrong. On four different podcasts last week, I prided on the fact that Keaton Slovis was a game manager. And he all but disproved that in the awful performance against Oregon in the 56-24 to loss on Saturday at the Coliseum. Welcome to Believe in the Pac-12, everybody, along with Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkind. And Ryan, you're looking quite snazzy. In your Oregon Ducks black and yellow polo today. Yep, just paying off that uh, that uh, bet from a couple weeks ago when my Cougars couldn't couldn't get it done in Eugene. Um, boy, but th- that game did not look like the same Oregon team that showed up in the Coliseum uh, on Saturday night. They there were two opportunities this weekend, and in which I thought was the most important weekend in Pac-12 history when it came to the college football playoff. Uh, Utah at Washington, Oregon at USC. Um, and after Utah was able to get it done, I, I tweeted out something because I just thought it would be the most Pac-12 thing in the world to have an 11-1 and Utah team sitting at home on championship weekend watching a uh, 9-3 USC team play a 10-2 and Oregon team in the, in the Pac-12 championship. But Oregon, after trailing 10 nothing to start, and then just absolutely – destroyed a Trojans team that looked overpowered, uh, youthful, um, and, and just at every turn when they could make the biggest probably mistake or, 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 or Oregon make a big play, it happened. Pick six for, for uh, a touchdown, and then the kickoff return right before half when USC had uh, brought it back to 21-17. That was, that was huge for me. Um, Oregon is, is ready to roll. Utah is ready to roll. Um, you have the two best quarterbacks at play there. What a great Pac-12 championship it would be if they can get there both at 11-1 and one in the top 10, possibly top 5, uh, for a chance to play for the Pac-12 championship and get to the college football playoff. We'll get to that Utah game in just a second, but I was sitting near the student section at the Coliseum. I wasn't in the student section because I'm not a USC student, nor do I really want to sit in that student section. But after Oregon scored its 28th point of the second quarter, the Urban Meyer chance started to break out. And it was a lot more tangible than what you would typically hear up to this point. I've been to a few USC games this season. I've hung around a lot of those students. And a lot of them said, eh, Urban Meyer, you know, it's fine. But do we really want Urban Meyer? Well, now they really want Urban Meyer. And I think that, especially with the abundance of recruits at this game, I have a feeling that the Clay Helton brand needs to now be disassociated with USC because, number one, after a game like this where USC had more recruits shown out from the region than any other game this season. After this game where 
USC started off strong, blew it. Not only that, by the way, Jawan Johnson, who was in double coverage like half the time, had seven receptions for 106 yards and three touchdowns, had six receptions through seven games coming into this game. So defensively, they weren't good. The offensive play calling was predictable. Oregon had their number from the second quarter on, and I think it's time for the Clay Helton era at USC to end. It won't end now because there's still three games left in the season, uh, but this solidified, I think, the notion that there needs to be a brand at USC that will start attracting people because it's not the play that's going to start attracting recruits to this program. Well, I, you know, I don't know what what brand Urban Meyer brings uh, to the table. Uh, you know, he's yet to take any personal accountability for what got him essentially fired from his last job at, at Ohio State. So I don't know if he's the right fit. I, I don't know if that administration's willing to kind of check their morality at the door for winning championships, but the fan base clearly is uh, up in arms for that, and uh, we'll see. I, I think that would be a terrible choice on the part of USC to hire. I think there are plenty of coaches out there are capable. Of, you, have, you have one that is – you know, above reproach, I feel like, in a place where he had to fix things and make them better in Matt Rule. I'm, I, I bet you that is a name that is, is thrown out there. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Mike Leach's name is thrown out there because guess what? Offensively, I think people are pretty happy with what Graham Harrell's been able to do. He's been able to do it with young quarterbacks, a thir- three quarterbacks this year, in fact. You say bring in Mike Leach, and now you have his offense with Graham Harrell's in place and and. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. They want to win championships. Uh, they're below North Texas in the recruiting model right now, and that for me is is uh, the ultimate uh, you know nail in the coffin for for Clay Helton. The fact that you can't recruit to USC, which is one of the easiest places to recruit, uh, that brand that you just talked about is one that's going to have to change. Of course, USC just hired finally an athletic director, Mike Bond, from the University of Cincinnati. He does have a lot of experience in the Southern California area. I'm going to stop you right there because it's not official. There have been whispers of USC hiring Mike Bond from we Cincinnati. Had, yeah, we had an individual on my uh, Sirius XM radio show, and he wanted to make that very clear that for all the rumors and all the rumblings around, it has not been official by USC um, you know, the, the the funny thing about this is UCLA went through the same thing recently. They they went out and tried to attract a bunch of big-name head coaches. You're talking about with Mick Cronin and for instead they get instead they get a, a, a guy from Cincinnati. Yep. And which might end up being the best thing that UCLA could have gotten in that process. Here, the the names that were out there for who USC went after were a, who, who, a who's who's list of, of great athletic directors. I almost said – you know, this is a scenario where they went, they took, you know, struck out swinging, you know, five times and then got a CNI single. You know, but it's a guy from Cincinnati. He's been in Colorado. He's been all over the place. He hired Mike McIntyre, uh, who turned that program around for one year and now is no longer there anymore. So he also hired Hawkins and Embry. Embry. And he's going to have to hire a head coach. And uh, this is whole new administration. Um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Urban Meyer got the job. Uh, I, I think it would just be uh, the wrong move by a, a crew that uh, has had a lot of scandals, a lot of things that going on. Maybe if they hadn't had all these things that have been playing out the way they have, Urban Meyer might be a better fit. But I, I think that the, the optic, optics just don't look good right now to hire somebody like that. 
And until it may it may also be an opportunity for Urban Meyer to, to if he wants that draw job to really come out and say, hey, you know, I made mistakes while I was at Ohio State. I'm not going to let that stuff happen again. That's all anybody's asking for here. The fact that he just hasn't taken any accountability, that's my biggest criticism of the whole process of, of him possibly being the head coach. So we'll see how it plays out. But uh, right now, the possibility of a new athletic director is right on the horizon as well as, as a new head coach with about uh, four weeks left in the season. Yeah, we'll see how that all shapes up. USC basketball is actually projected to win the Pac-12, so that would actually really help the program brand. But, of course, football, the brand that USC has always carried so closely to uh, its professional, or not its professional, <laughs> amateur athletic setting. But we'll get into the whole professional versus amateurism conversation here in a moment because last week uh, it broke that the NCAA would consider allowing players to benefit off of their name, brand, and likeness. We didn't get to talk about it because it happened right after we recorded our podcast, so we'll t- briefly touch on it uh, towards the end of this one. By the way, Joey McMorry from Oregon Learfield IMG will join us uh, after Ryan and I wrap up the early segment recapping all of Week 10's game. So really quickly, Ryan, Justin Herbert, 21 for 26, 225 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He did have a rushing touchdown, which uh, I really like to see because it's not very typical for Herbert. That offensive line has to be the most important part of the entire Oregon scheme because without that offensive line, you know, C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye, I mean, Verdell only had six carries. They didn't really use him as much. Travis Dye was the feature guy, and now, mind you, he's at home now. Played at Norco. His brother also played at Norco. But, you know, this offensive line for Oregon, we, we say it time and time again, but it was so important against USC, and they came through. Yeah, they did. They they continue to do it. They've been their identity all year long, and and in a game that just kind of got out of hand is what happened. I mean, defensively they made a play. Special teams they made a play. And then Herbert just, you know, found uh, Johnson on the perimeter for the first time this season, really. Uh, and, and he showed his dominant his dominance over a, a, a less talented USC team, and that's uh, something that we haven't been able to say in a long, long time. Uh, Oregon has developed a system of players that are very similar to uh, the SEC. And Mario Cristobal right now with the loss and firing of, of Willie Taggart down at Florida State, wow. It, it really makes Rob Mullins and, and that whole crew look like um, – they got the best end of, of everything that could have happened. Willie Taggart was there for the one year. He brought in Mario Cristobal and then decided to leave uh, uh, for that job, and that placed Cristobal in the position. And this team has really taken on his identity. Tough, strong, physical football. Uh, they're ready to compete. They're going to get an opportunity. Uh, the Pac-12 championship, if both things play out the way they should, is going to be special with Utah and Oregon. Oregon on the road at the Coliseum for the first time in two seasons. Wins 56-24, putting to rest all doubt, at least for now, about the validity and tangibility of Oregon's dominance in this conference. Utah, Washington, in Seattle. A consistent night for Washington. They scored a touchdown in all four quarters, but they walk away with a loss, losing to Utah 33-28 at home. Jacob Eason looked really good, 316 yards, four touchdowns. But what did Utah do? No, let's stop right there. Okay, let's Jacob, right there. apparently he did not look very Jacob good. Jacob Eason did not look very good at all. That last touchdown was meaningless. Because of the pick six? The pick six. That wasn't the interception either. The interception in the red zone. The one that didn't cost him anything other than the lack of points possibly. He just stu- he stared down the route, and he threw it into double coverage, and it was intercepted in the red zone, which could have been more points. Instead, they don't get any there. The interception for the pick six cost him more because it cost him points, but that's just Jalen Johnson making a play. Jacob Easton has regressed 
uh, I feel like, throughout the entire year and hasn't been able to win big football games. It's a big reason why I think he needs to come back next year and be what Justin Herbert's been this year, uh, a guy that played in his fourth year, more starts, be ready for the NFL. And I suspect it may play out that way. Um, what do you, they what, are arguably the, the best four-loss team in the country. But because when you ask what, what is Utah and Oregon's best wins this year? Washington. Probably both against Washington, yeah. right? So that says a lot about who Washington is. And, and for me, this game was more about uh, Tyler Huntley and what he was able to do on a bum knee. Uh, he couldn't have looked more like the leader of that football team saying, I'm not going to come out of this football game. Let's figure out a plan that does the least amount of damage to my body where we can find out a way to win. And then when asked to, he put his foot in the ground, got in the end zone, took big shots. Uh, his accuracy uh, has been the biggest thing and biggest surprise for me this entire season so far. Before we get on to Huntley and his 19-for-24 performance, you said that Jacob Eason has regressed. He can't win big games. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, His inability to step up in the pocket. You know, I don't know why, but when he plants that foot and there's any kind of pressure, he spins out. If you watch a lot of the plays that happen, he'll spin out or, or take a step back before stepping up in the pocket. He doesn't seem comfortable that way. He's got to be able to move up in that pocket to throw the football down the football field. And, then, and until he's able to do that, it's going to be really problematic because even if his left tackles do a good job, you know, and continue to press him up, if there's any pressure up up front, he spins out of that and runs right into those defensive ends. And it probably frustrates the heck out of those offensive tackles, Trey Adams being one of them. Tyler Huntley, you mentioned his ability uh, to complete the pass effectively, 19 for 24, 284, 12 yards on average, pretty good in the touchdown. But you mentioned his leadership. That's his most important quality. It's not the stats on paper. It's not what you're going to see on the field. It's how the team plays around him, how the team rallies around him. Zach Moss, 27 for 100 and a touchdown. You know, and he spread the ball around. Almost, I think it was eight different receivers. Nine different receivers had a reception. And for someone like Huntley, who I don't think has a national brand recognition, even though now Utah is, you know, eighth in the nation, his leadership, and you said he's never looked more like a leader then in this game, his leadership is what matriculates to a positive performance from the rest of this team. Have you seen him grow, or how have you seen him grow throughout this season to get to this point? Well, the offseason, right, the fact that he put a bunch of muscle on, and then the last two weeks, right, he doesn't need to be in the game a week ago. Uh, but he asks to play. He wants his guys to see him out there. He wants to get some reps. He wants to get that in. Uh, and then this week, you know, he's got a flak jacket on that makes him look like he's pregnant out there. And then a, a knee brace on a knee that – you, you just don't know what it's going to do. With a knee, you never know. It could give out, be unstable here or there. Uh, you don't know if he's going to be able to run. Jason Shelley had uh, a few packages in play, so you saw a lot of him in that football game as well on, on big third downs and stuff. So, you know, I, I give him a ton of credit. I think Andy Ludwig uh, has come in and, and speaks Tyler Huntley in, in, for, in terms of how, how they go about things offensively because when they asked him to do big things down the football field, Late in the football game to win it, he was able to do it. He's been as accurate as anybody in the country throwing the football, especially when situations where everybody knows he's going to be throwing it. That's the thing about this offense, right? A lot of times they'll run first and second down, and situationally they'll put him in a third down where you know he's going to have to throw the ball, and he's still able to complete it and get first downs and get these wins. Uh, you know, I, I think he's been arguably the best offensive football player in the Pac-12 conference this year. And right now, if you had to pick – Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, you have to say it's a pretty close race with Justin Herbert 
and Tyler Huntley right now, and it may come down to the, the final game. Ty Sorry, Tyler Huntley on the season and passing efficiency in the nation is fifth. Behind Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, Burrow Tua Tungvaloa, and Jalen Hurts. He's in pretty good company. By the way, Brady White from Memphis and Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, the next two up behind him. So you talk about efficiency. You talk about the ability uh, uh, to be consistent out of the pocket. Tyler Huntley, fifth best in the nation at that. Justin Herbert's at 13th. They actually have him right behind Anthony Gordon, according uh, to passer efficiency ratings. Gordon has a .30 edge on Herbert. But... Utah sneaking out of Seattle with a 33-28 win. They also move up in the rankings. Let's take a pause here. Oregon State, Arizona, Colorado, UCLA will be our final two games. But, Ryan, you came out with your top 25 rankings this, this morning. We're recording this on a Monday morning after Week 10. And you have Oregon above Georgia as the best one-loss team in the nation. Yeah, but that hasn't changed for me for the last three but weeks. Georgia beating Florida... So after Georgia beat Florida, I said, even though Oregon will probably beat USC, Georgia's going to jump Oregon in the ratings. Why for you was the Florida win not enough to push Georgia above Oregon? I just think their loss is worse than, or than you Oregon. You think the South Carolina loss is that simple? It, it, for me right now, it's just, it's, it puts them behind, uh, it puts them behind a, a bunch of teams for me. It puts them behind Utah, puts them behind uh, Oregon, and puts them behind Minnesota for me uh, as, as a one-loss team. It, that loss for me is as bad as it as it could be. But the thing is, they're going to most likely win the SEC East and could win the SEC championship. Uh, they're going to be in that position again. So when it's all said and done, it may not be one that holds them back because they'll control their own destiny. And if they do that, they'll they'll be in the in a, in a situation to to jump them. But right now, I have uh, Oregon and Utah uh, as the two best one loss teams in the country right now. I I, I flipped those two up though. I thought that. Uh, the two head-to-heads against Washington State and Cal, uh, Utah had better victories. But then for what Oregon did this weekend against a USC team as their common opponent, uh, where Utah lost to USC uh, at the Coliseum and Oregon did what they did on Saturday night, moved them ahead in terms of the national rankings and, and most likely in the power rankings, though you could easily put them as a, uh, 1A and 1B in terms of what Oregon and Utah bring to the table. Top 25 for Ryan's rankings has Oregon at 6, Utah at 7. You've Clemson 1, LSU 2, Ohio State 3, Alabama 4, Penn State 5, Minnesota 8, Georgia 9, Baylor 10 to round out your top 10. I actually, I really agree with these rankings. I just, Georgia's just, I know they're a good football team. And I feel like if they played Oregon, that's, a, that's, a, that's an intriguing game. Right now, if they played Oregon on a neutral field, I think Oregon, I think Oregon dominates that, that, that wow. football game. Uh you know, I, I feel like Jake Fromm, you know, that throw he makes on third down to win the football game, that's, right. di that's a difference maker, right? Justin Herbert makes those plays too. But Georgia hasn't looked dominant, right? I mean, what Oregon looked like the last few weeks, and in particular on Saturday night, they look dominant. Uh, they're a different football team than they were uh, in week one against Auburn. They have every, every one of their wide receivers back. They've lost Jacob Breeland, which is, I think, a big loss. But Spencer Webb has filled in adequately – at the tight end position. He's a big, strong, young kid that I think is going to be around there for a long time making plays uh, for the Ducks. So I, I just think I, when, I, when I make these rankings up in my mind, I find myself looking at the national semifinal, putting them on a neutral site, and saying go and, and how it plays out. And I think if you do that right now between an Oregon and Georgia football team, I think Oregon wins that football game. I think Utah 
finds a way to win the football game too. So that's why I do that. That's why I have Clemson at one. I think if you put Clemson and Ohio State in a neutral site or Clemson and LSU or Clemson and Alabama in a neutral site right now, I still think Clemson wins that football game. That's why I put them there. I don't put them there because of what they did last year. I take a part in it, right? I say they haven't lost. They've won 23 consecutive games. They're the defending national champion. They're winning games by 40-some points. Uh, Travis Etienne is the best running back in the country probably, and no one no, no one even is, is paying yeah. attention. So that, that for me is – there's more talent at the wide receiver position. The defense is better. I mean, all these things that you want to ar- you know, argue with in terms of – People don't like the fact that they only beat North Carolina by one point and they had to stop them on a two-point conversion. That is it. And that the fact that Trevor Lawrence has thrown more interceptions this right. year than he has last year. Those are the two sticking points on people on why Clemson. And I and I tell you right now, Dabo Sweeney, when he watches the, the uh, rankings come rolling out tomorrow night, no number one team in the initial playoff rankings has ever won the national championship. So all four of the teams are like, don't put me there. Right. I'm cool. I'm cool <laughs> with that. Dabo Sweeney is like, you just all come get on this bus. In fact, if you put us at four, and in fact, do us something better. Put us at five in the initial ones, and, and, and we'll see how that plays out for everybody. Who would they put at fourth over Penn State? Maybe. Yeah. I I just don't think so. Penn State right. hasn't beat anybody, yeah. uh, so I don't I don't think so. I think it's going to be. I think it's the way the committee's going to do it tomorrow. I think they're going to put LSU one. I think they're going to put Ohio State two, and then probably Alabama, and then Clemson. Right. So I, I think that's how the committee's going to play it out tomorrow night. Uh, we'll find out. But uh, uh, the initial rankings are here. College football playoff ranking season is here, and now we'll now we'll get a better idea of what everybody thinks. The biggest takeaway I probably will get from the AP poll, I think, it probably has to do with Minnesota. I think they're gonna they're gonna reward teams like Baylor and Minnesota for having been unbeaten right now because it's so difficult. We just watched two teams go down this last week in App State and SMU. Right uh, to to teams that Memphis, I understand, Georgia Southern at home. App State right now looking like a team that was in the running for the New Year's Six because of a group of five um, commitment. Not so much now for the second year in a row. They lose to Georgia Southern. This time, Georgia Southern throws one pass the whole game. Yeah, they ran all – it was a crazy game. Thursday night game, Appalachian State, Georgia Southern. Before we quickly go on to the last two games, Oregon State, Arizona, Colorado, UCLA, is the AP poll becoming irrelevant? Well, I always have felt like it's irrelevant. That's why I continue to put out a top 25 myself. Right. I mean, it seems like everybody sort of has their own algorithm, internal algorithm for how they want it to all go. And it doesn't even matter at the end of the day because what we go off of starting tomorrow is the college football playoff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. I mean, the AP poll will continue to be there, and it gives us an idea, and it allows for rankings to show up until the college football ranking. I even asked the question to my co-host on my Sirius XM show today was, you know, does the AP poll continue? I didn't even realize, didn't know if it came out again right. today. I'm like, because really, what does it matter? It doesn't matter anymore. So it it, it becomes obsolete, yes. Uh, I think the first week is, is to see how different maybe the AP poll is than from what the committee is. Right. Um, it, in all truth, there is no need for the committee even to release it until December 8th. But it, this is, we're talking about TV ratings right, now, and exactly. this is what it's all about, and, and it's advertising dollars and all those things. But really, it doesn't matter. In fact, it got them in some trouble a few years back in the initial season when they had the week before the championship weekend had TCU at number three. And then after the weekend ended, they were number six, and they beat Iowa State 55-3. to three. How, how can you go from third right. to sixth after winning by 52 points? Well, because they didn't win a conference championship because there wasn't one back then. And their loss was to Baylor, so they moved them ahead and head-to-head. And then they threw Ohio State ahead of them because of the demolishing of Wisconsin and a 
Big Ten Championship. That's ultimately what happened. So it almost got them in trouble. So they have to always be careful with where they put teams leading up to that. Like if they if they plan on taking uh, a team with a with a, a championship, you know, you, you got to be careful with how you're you're doing this because then you're just asking yourself for a, a ton of questions. Biggest takeaway will be uh, when the rankings come out, where Oregon is, where Utah is, but also how that will play out because if there's a 12 and one Oregon football team that's won the Pac-12 conference. Didn't lose one conference game in 10 opportunities. First time that has ever happened since the inception of the Pac-12 conference. And they do not get in the college football playoff. You have to blow it up. Because you go out and schedule somebody tough with Auburn. Play them very, very good. Lose on the last play of the game to a team that may go 8-4 and four, but lose to maybe four of the top right. eight teams in the country and you don't get in and, or, or get a chance to play for the national championship, then there's a problem. And this may be the year that this plays out in that form. And that's why Utah being, and we'll talk about this on Thursday's pod, but that's why Utah being top 10, top 8 team heading into the college or the, the Pac-12 championship makes it that much more important because if Utah blows one of its last three games, Colorado, UCLA, and Arizona, Oregon beating Utah puts them in the Rose Bowl. Utah has to be a top 10 team. If in that Pac-12 championship, well, they will be unless they lose, right? You know, they'll, and it, they'll, they'll be. They could be with with games that that have to play out. LSU, Alabama. I think if Alabama loses this game, they're out. No, I don't know if they're out, but I think in the rankings, in terms of getting people up, a lot of people think, well, they won't drop below those other one-loss teams. But I'm like, with the resume they have and the fact that they lost at home, they may, they may go behind. Let's say. Uh, a, a, a Oregon and a Utah, and they, you keep moving up, and all of a sudden now you're talking about, let's say Minnesota beats Penn State. You know, I, I think the committee probably moves Penn St- uh, Minnesota ahead of of the one loss teams as as a undefeated. But I mean, there's a lot that can play out. There's going to be a fun weekend this weekend uh, with those two big games, but you know, a ton of opportunity for for everybody to continue. The best answer I can give anybody at this time: you're disappointed with what your rankings are. Keep winning. Keep winning. It will take care of itself. Nothing more tangible has been said on this podcast. Just keep winning. If you're not winning games, you're not going to be in the rankings. It's that simple. You know who's looking to be in the rankings? Not in the near future, but perhaps way down the road is Oregon State. They beat Arizona 56-38 to on the road. Your man, Jonathan uh, Smith, orchestrating another Great offensive performance headed by Jake Luton. 20 for 26, 320 yards, three touchdowns. I never thought I would say this. By by the way, Isaiah Hodges is like my my Heisman who will not win Heisman candidate this season. Um, I never thought I would say this, especially going to school in Eugene, growing up a Trojan. I really like Oregon State's offense. I really, really like it. Artavis Pierce, 15 for 114 and a touchdown. Jake Luton, I just said his stats. Hodges, 7 for 150 and two touchdowns. This team has weapons, and they can move the ball, and they play smart offensively. You know, the funny thing about this whole process is if UCLA wins out and Oregon State wins out, UCLA plays Oregon State in the Pac-12 championship. Because Oregon State would have the Oregon tiebreaker and UCLA would have the USC tiebreaker, but that would Utah would still have to lose another game, though, right? They would lose to UCLA. They play each other. Oh, they weeks. do play each other. So if I mean this is absurd, but I tell you right now, if UCLA wins out and Oregon State wins out, they would be the 
Pac-12 North and Pac-12 South champions. And uh, Oregon State has yet to win a, a Pac-12 conference game at home this year. All three of their wins have been on the road. Yep. They host Washington on a Friday night this week. Jonathan Smith knows Chris Peterson and that team very, very intimately. This is you know, shaping up to be a very interesting end of the year. UCLA is going to give Utah a tough football game. Um, you know, I, I'm excited to see how it plays out. But, yeah, you're exactly right. Oregon State went down and, and absolutely just ran through the defense um, in Chuck Cecil's first defensive coordinator game. I, I, I feel like um, they're still trying to figure out what they need to do at the quarterback position. I, I still don't figure it out. Khalil Tate starts. Uh, um, the backup comes in and, and uh, does a pretty good job, gets some points, and then Tate comes back in to end the second half and then or in the se- second quarter. So I, I don't quite know what they're doing, but they're they're now looking uh, down the barrel of a four and eight season, which would be worse than a year ago. In two years, with when he took the job, they had probably the most dynamic quarterback in the country in Khalil Tate, and then to win nine games in two seasons, Kevin Sumlin is going to be looking at things like, you know, what what now? Uh, UCLA though. On the other side of things, wins their fourth game, right? They get past that three-game set that they had won a year ago, and now they're looking at an opportunity to get to six and six. They can get, they can win two out of their last three football games. Uh, they're six and six. They have a bowl chance, and uh, I think a lot of people would say, "Hey, they doubled their win total from a year ago. Get to a bowl." Chip Kelly is moving in the right direction with this football team. Yeah, I mean UCLA. You know, we talked about in week two, Ryan said, well, we shouldn't really talk about UCLA until week eight. We've been talking to them e- about them every every week since week two because they've always been something to talk about, whether it was the Washington State win, whether it was last week when I asked, well, are they actually better than we thought? They were up 17-0 going into the second quarter last week. Dorian Thompson-Robinson finally looked decent. Joshua Kelly was carrying the offense for most of the game. Well, you know, Chip Kelly finally figured out, you know, that, I mean, Josh Kelly had been injured all year long, really. And when he finally got healthy, Chip Kelly said, hey, you're going to get 34 carries a week ago, right? You're going to get carries again. And guess what? USC, you better be ready because he's the reason you lost that game last year. USC has to play in their final three games opponents that all beat him, beat Clay Helton and beat that team a year ago. Arizona State, Cal, and UCLA. That puts that puts them in a position where they, um, you know, where they're 6-6. Six and six. They're in a place where they don't know where they're going, and that for sure puts Clay Helton out. But Chip Kelly, in a different scenario, uh, has a chance to go to a bowl game. He figured out what his what his horse was going to be, and that was going to be uh, Joshua Kelly and allow DTR to get better each and every week, and they have. Chip Kelly knew that he needed to turn this program around after last season. Turned Florida down to go to UCLA after coming back to the collegiate ranks, and it has to start now, and it is. UCLA walking out of the Rose Bowl with with what must have felt like a road game. A lot of Colorado fans were there, let me tell you. 31-14, the Bruins over the Buffs. Before we get Joey on the line and talk a little bit about Oregon's game against USC from the perspective of someone who called the game, uh, and we talk about what the pressures of the entire conference for the college football playoff riding on one team is like, Ryan, on Saturday, when we wrap, before we wrap this all up, where can we find you, even though we're going to talk again on Thursday? You can edit. Yeah, that. I'll edit this out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Start, over. Idea. Start yeah. over. 
All right, Joey McMurray will join us in a couple of minutes on the line. Broadcaster for the Oregon Learfield IMG Sports Network. He hosts, hosts Ducks Insider, uh, which is live streamed to Twitter as well. He does the coaches show with Rob Mosley, editor-in-chief of, of GoDucks.com. He also does sideline reporting for Oregon football. So he will join us. But for now, for Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin, signing off from Believe in the Pac-12. We'll be back on Thursday to get you ready for Week 11. We're not only going to talk about the Pac-12 games, we're going to talk about some of the national games that will affect the way that the Pac-12 is seen uh, throughout the following weeks. But until then, but until then, have a wonderful rest of your day. Please rate, review, and subscribe no matter how you're listening or where you're listening. And always remember to tune in on Believe in the Pac-12. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.